I had four daughters who had been for two years just trying to decide what to do with all these items their parents had left behind. And they eventually got connected with us and decided to choose EBTH. And they really had not only some arguments, but a lot of anxiety between the four of them, because of course, I had four different opinions. And I encouraged them to get some wine and cheese and to watch this auction end. And I remember the next day, the eldest daughter called me and said, we wish we had another house to sell with you. We had so much fun together last night. And they realized that mom and dad's things were going to new homes. And all of a sudden, they could focus on their relationship as sisters again and not on this stuff that had encumbered them for well over a couple years. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the KonMari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified KonMari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Today's episode of Spark Joy is part three of a three-part series dedicated to selling your clutter. What do you do with those items that no longer spark joy? We're dedicating three episodes to how to make your clutter pay you back. Everything But the House is the world's premier online estate sale and consignment marketplace. Through a global community of buyers and sellers, Everything But the House has transformed the traditional consignment and estate sale model while preserving its fundamental charm, the thrill of discovering something special. Our guest today. Jackie Denny and Brian Graves co-founded Everything But the House in 2008. As Chief Development Officer, Jackie brings 20 years of experience at the helm of a Cincinnati-based estate sale business called Sorting It Out. As Chief Learning Officer, Brian uses his extensive knowledge of history, auctioneering, and antique valuation and authentication to help maximize value for Everything But the House clients. Welcome to Spark Joy, Jackie and Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Welcome. We're so glad to have you. I remember back in the day when going to an estate sale meant that you would peruse the paper the day before, and then you would get up really early in the morning on Saturday, and you would go wait in line. You would then go into someone's home, and the estate sale people who were running the sale would have gone through the entire house and have put tags on every single thing. So you'd go through someone's home, you'd decide if there were things that you wanted, and you'd take it to like a central location and pay for it and be on your way to maybe the next estate sale. And it was super interesting because you got to see the way people lived, but also it meant that you got up really early and it was really just a matter of being at the right place at the right time. So of course now everything's a little different. With platforms such as Everything But The House, you are able to facilitate that process and make it much easier can you tell us a little bit about the process that's involved for clients? And who are your clients? Who are the people who come to Everything But The House for assistance with their estate sales? Well, so I think anybody that's going through a life's transition, whether it be like a death, downsizing, divorce, reorganization, lifestyle change, all those times that we are going to change the way we live or the space that we live in. But for us, it always just starts with a telephone call or an email and then a free consultation just to find out what the goals of the client are through this transition. Our clients can be anyone from an individual with a single object to sell 
It can be a family that's dealing with a parent that's going into assisted living, or it's just an individual that was moving into a smaller home and really maybe rethinking what they have. So for us, it's just being the individuals there to support getting these objects to a broader marketplace and really allow them to focus on what's important, which is that transition. How did you come up with the idea? Had you identified a need for this type of a model as you were working with your more traditional estate sale client base? So my background was my company called Sorting It Out. And one of the things that we found in the 20 years that we worked with families doing the estate sale business was they really needed the service. They needed someone to be there through the donation, through the trash removal day. So they wanted almost a partner in this process as much as just the fact that they needed to sell some things. And then I think Brian was first to point this out is we got into like the late 90s, early 2000s. We just noticed that not as many people were able to come and stand in line on Saturdays. They had grandkids in sports on Saturdays now. And so we found that most of the buying was going to online platforms at that time, which were pretty much an eBay dominated market. Yeah, I think it's super cool how you guys have really taken estate sales, that traditional concept, as Karen mentioned, usually pretty local, and you've really expanded it to a global business, especially on the buyer side. Can you help us understand your current reach? From the very beginning, it was trying to broaden the scope of the audience. How do you get beyond the individuals that can attend on a Saturday or on a Sunday? Part of it is because the volume of objects that are now coming to the marketplace. We have the largest generation in history, all downsizing at the same time. At the same time as we are really rethinking what we need to acquire in our lives. So again, for us, it was how do you open this up to a broader audience? When we did our first uh, online sale, I think what's so interesting is we had 300 registered bidders participate in that sale, and that sale performed wonderfully. And they were predominantly from the region where we started, which is Cincinnati, Ohio. But we also had bidders from other parts of the country, the West Coast, East Coast, and we certainly had bidders even from around the world, even in that first sale. Well, now today... We have over a million unique visitors that access the site every single month. We ship objects and interact with buyers in over 150 countries around the world and ship roughly 75 to 80% of what we sell on a given month. So it's really expanded the marketplace to be a global audience and, and interact with really anybody that we can come into contact with. I think it's so interesting to hear about the kinds of clients and consigners that you are running across these days, because for me, and I'm sure Kristen would agree, we are seeing all kinds of clients who are becoming much more interested in downsizing and much more thoughtful about the kinds of things that they have in their lives and the things that they are surrounding themselves with. But I think now a lot of people are much more interested in having an estate sale just to reduce the amount of things that they have. One of the things that I find so interesting about everything but the house is that you not only offer virtual consultations, but you do in-person consultations as well. So if someone is thinking about liquidating an estate, whether it be an entire estate or some portion of an estate, you can actually go to their homes and discuss with them the best way to approach that in their particular situation. So we have physical locations in eight different cities now those being Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Boston, Chicago, Cincinnati, Charlotte, Columbus, and Dallas. 
today, me and Brian are sitting in uh, South Dakota. And this is a result of a family who uh, one of the sisters was aware of us online from Cincinnati, Ohio, and had a family estate out here in South Dakota. So we are physically coming out to South Dakota to pack up an estate out here. The consultation really is a discovery process for both the family and us to get to know each other, to find out what their goals are, and to see how we can help them through that. So we really are almost project managers for what the family would like to accomplish in selling their items. Wow. This is reminding me how a lot of my clients, um, when they complete the Kanmari tidying event, they come across a lot of sentimental possessions. And they are either inherited or maybe collections from their children or across many generations. And that encompasses a lot of emotions and those start to build up during the process. And this is a great tool to help them manage this. It also helps to have someone who can be objective and work through that tangible element of understanding you know, the actual present value I know, Brian, you've had a lot of experience with valuation. I would love to hear more about how you help your clients kind of work through what's worth selling and give them more options to help them let go of those things that don't spark joy. Absolutely. As Jackie mentioned, our goal is really to understand the objectives of the family. And depending on the individual, those objectives are completely different. And a lot of our job, not just in authenticating these goods or bringing them to market, is actually helping to work with that family to understand where they are in that transition. A lot of times I say, keep what has a place in either your home or your heart. If it's going to be used and enjoyed, if it's going to bring you joy, obviously, and or if this is the thing that still evokes a memory that is very personal and you engage with, that's the easiest decision. Focus on those objects first. But if there is a monetary aspect to it in terms of I bought this object for investment or I'm considering replacing it, and if I were to replace it, I'd like to know the type of value that I can get from this existing object. That's where we come in and really try to coach them as to what is the market at present. and. In contrast, what is the market at auction? What is the market in a retail environment? And get them to really understand the differences of those two. So the the great thing is back in the early days, that was reviewing auction catalogs and looking at books and going around and going to antique stores to identify what things were worth. But nowadays, obviously, at our fingertips on the internet, there are several sites, including EVTH.com, that we can utilize to look at past results compare those results to the individual's object and really get them to understand the current state of the market. Fantastic. And do you allow the families to keep items if they don't sell for a certain minimum value? The market, as it relates to EBTH, because of the, the vast audience that we have, these will achieve what we consider fair market. So if the price isn't what the family would like, it's not necessarily that it's the incorrect value. It's just below the threshold of what they would like. And so a lot of times, again, that's where that conversation is important, trying to understand, are there objects that they would prefer to keep if they don't meet a minimum threshold? And really talking through that, because what happens in the process really with any family is there are objects that will blow away their expectations. There are objects that will meet their expectations. And of course, there are objects that fall short of their expectations. And it's not because it's the incorrect result. It's because their expectations were often greater because of a personal attachment or the investment that they made. 
I think that's really a great point because I work with a lot of clients who have some lovely things, but the sentimental value that they have attached to that object may be way more than the monetary value. And sometimes it's really difficult because you may have someone who is looking at a dining room table, for example, that hosted 50 years of holiday dinners, and it's really hard to attach a monetary value to that. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll have clients go to platforms such as yours and take a look at the things that are on the platform to kind of get an idea of what the prices are. And one tip is always to make sure that you look at completed items because someone may have listed something for a particular amount, but the market may not support that. So you really want to look at what has sold and know the price points that those things have sold at. What happens if something on your site just doesn't sell? For whatever reason, no one's interested in that particular object. 99% of the items that go on the site will sell through because we have that very approachable and accessible $1 starting bid. If by rare chance there's an item that doesn't sell, the family can be empowered to either donate that to a local charity or once in a while a family will ask if they can have it back and we're certainly glad to meet that need also. That's great. Yeah, that very rarely happens, guys. Sure. <laughs> very rarely. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's because, I, I mean, from a buyer's perspective, I've gotten lost in your site for sure. There's some truly beautiful things, very unique, and it's presented very well, very organized. I've seen everything up there from armoires to jewelry. So it's truly everything but the house. What's really the, the most unique item, I guess, that's ever been listed? Within the last 12 calendar months, we've had some really unique items. We've had a Cessna airplane. Uh, we have had a tiny house, uh, which was the first tiny house that came onto the site. That was fairly rare and unique. And then uh, when you think of unique for me, I think of the historical items that we've sold, um, like Abraham Lincoln's signature and pieces of memorabilia for World War II. Those things to me are very unique because they're one of a kind and never to be had again or not easily replaced in life. Sure. Brian, how about you? It's always exciting. This honestly is one of the hardest questions we get because when you handle over 70,000 objects a month, there's always something unique about each one of those objects that come across the platform. But certainly we've had bronze by Roy Lichtenstein, Matisse. Uh, we actually just had an eight carat emerald diamond ring that, again, it's not something you see every day. To Jackie's point, we had an amazing collection of presidential signatures, including George Washington and, again, founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. And, but obviously, those are some of the things on the more valuable side of the range. There are things that we sell for 40 and $50 that again are, are rare and unique individuals. So I think that's what I love about the site is it's this ecosystem that allows everyone to engage and discover something that's rare and unique to them. I'm really curious, how do you value one of a kind or one off types of objects? So sometimes it's based on the material that they're made of. Oftentimes it's based on the provenance or the historical significance. But you approach it, you know, much as a detective approaches solving a murder mystery. What is it about this that is unique and, and how can you value that, 
that part of this piece at market? How many have sold? Who signed it? So there's many different attributions that will give us an indicator of how to assign a value to things. But when you get to something that unique, you know, at the end, it's always really going to be the one who wanted it the most is going to pay the most. So, you know, you can guesstimate what the value is on a rare one-of-a-kind piece. But in the end, that really exciting bidding or that happens at the last five minutes on our site really takes over and it's who really wants to keep it in their home and admire it. Super interesting. So as we've been discussing, everything but the house does not just sell fine art and antiques. You sell all types of things. And it's interesting to me that traditionally an antique item was identified as something that was at least 100 years old. And then collectible and vintage items would be different categories. Is that still how things are evaluated as far as what category they come into? There's kind of the standard in industry terminology, like you said, 100 years for an antique, over 25 years for vintage. Collectible obviously can fall into a variety of ranges based on the type of collecting that individuals do. During the 1970s to, I'd say, early 1990s, there was a huge surge of collectibles, and it became what a lot of people associate with collectibles today, like Hummel figurines and Yadros and Waterford Crystal and and Swarovski and that sort of thing. But again, a collectible in a, in a lot of ways can be, again, political ephemera, that uh, sports cards from the early 20th century and, and those sorts of things. So for us, again, a lot of times our descriptions are such that we want to identify the object. First and foremost, obviously, we want to identify the authenticity of that object. And then we want to stipulate the date of manufacture as close to as we can get to a date of manufacture. Because again, there's a lot of terminology that's kind of thrown around in the industry. Mid-century modern is a great example of that, where there's kind of a resurgence of mid-century modern, but contextually, it's a very specific thing. So a lot of times when we talk to our catalogers and with our photographers, we say, photograph it as though there's not a description and describe it as though there's not a photograph. So people can really kind of paint a, a visual of what that object is. And then obviously we can work beyond that to talk about, you know, specific details in terms of the artist or the object to try to educate the consumer to make sure they're making a solid choice when they choose to participate. Very cool. Well, guys, we are curious what's next for everything but the house. Do you guys have any plans on adding additional services or expanding the platform? Definitely always looking to improve on our service model because that's really at the heart of what we do is giving service to families in transition. You know, if you think about it, years ago, most people went to college in the town they grew up with. They stayed around mom and dad, probably lived with them four or five blocks. This generation, their children may live in New York and they may live in London. So the service aspect is really important. So we'll always continue to improve upon that. And then I think over time, go into more markets and expand on the different types of categories we may handle because there's a world of items out there that aren't vintage that sell well. And people more and more love the convenience of shopping online. Kristen and I are working with clients often who would really like to let go of some of the things that are no longer sparking joy. How would they approach everything but the house to begin thinking about listing their items? You can just go to sell.ebth.com. It will allow you the opportunity to submit to have somebody to reach out. Our phone number is there as well for individuals to reach out and give us a call. 
Now, again, we really want to approach every individual as to, are we the right partner for you? Can we make it a fit? And to Jackie's point, again, we're in South Dakota, right? You know, we, we have families reach out to us from around the country, if not around the world, that are trying to figure out if we're the right fit. If not, obviously, we want to be a resource to them to kind of tell them about the options available in the marketplace. Um, specifically, even we have a mail-in program now where sometimes the logistics are, are some of the most difficult aspects in terms of getting value in a marketplace, but there's a lot of things that individuals are ready to divulge of that we'll send you a box. You can mail it to one of our processing centers and we'll do the work right from there so that you can realize the best result. It's really just as easy as reaching out and having a conversation and then just exploring the opportunities from there. But we're always glad to take a call and see what we can do to help. We ask all of our guests at this very moment, what is sparking joy for you? This is not a job that I expected that I was going to do, either when I was growing up or when I was going to school. It's just something that you, you know, you fall in love with. It gets in your blood and you can't help yourself. To have the opportunity to travel the country, to work with different families, and really to see the, the weight that they have to bear on their shoulder in making this transition and having the opportunity to really say, hey, we've got this. Like you focus on what's most important in your life, which is your family, your friends, your relationship, and really where you see yourself. And let us kind of take that burden from you so that you can realize the life that you want to have. Because I've, I've certainly seen the opposite. I've seen people that have really gotten themselves into this inability to kind of move to that next step and they surround themselves with so many objects. And it's just life's too short for that. The joy I get is seeing that weight lifted and, and people moving on to a better life. And I have to mirror that. You know, I think of an example. I had four daughters who had been for two years just trying to decide what to do with all these items their parents had left behind. And they eventually got connected with us and decided to choose EBTH. And they really had not only some arguments, but a lot of anxiety between the four of them because, of course, I had four different opinions. And I encouraged them to get some wine and cheese and to watch this auction end. And I remember the next day, the eldest daughter called me and said, we wish we had another house to sell with you. We had so much fun together last night. And they realized that mom and dad's things were going to new homes. And all of a sudden, they could focus on their relationship as sisters again, and not on this stuff that had encumbered them for well over a couple of years. So to mirror Brian's thought, we meet families and they're either stressed out like deer in headlights. And at the end, it's so exciting. They have moved on and they've planned to spend the money on a vacation together or do something new with their new place with the money. And they're actually excited that the process happened and to be able to pivot people that much in life, it's joyful. It is joyful. Sounds like just helping people move forward with their lives is what's sparking joy for you today. And that is perfectly in fitting with our message here as well. Any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Give grace. We all need grace. And for those helping a parent or a friend go through this and you can't understand why they're landlocked, just give them grace. They need kindness. They need empathy. And someday you're going to need grace too. I can promise you that. Brian, words of wisdom. 
Yeah, I think for me, it's just, again, focus on what's important in life. And if you woke up in the mirror and you learned that you have a month to live or a week to live or whatever that is, what would you spend that time doing? Who would you spend it with? And really identify what makes the most sense and stop allowing yourself to focus on all these things that at the end of the day don't really nearly provide as much joy as, again, those relationships and those experiences. Thank you so much, Brian and Jackie. It was a pleasure talking to you both. And it truly sounds like Everything But The House is a life-changing resource for our listeners who are simply trying to sell their clutter. Thanks a lot, guys. It was a pleasure being here. We appreciate it. We really enjoy your time. You can find Everything But The House at ebth.com or on Instagram at ebth and Facebook at ebthofficial. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. You can find us at sparkjoypodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for a chance to be featured on next week's show. While you're there, sign up to join our Spark Joy podcast community and get notified on when each episode airs. You can also join the SparkJoy podcast community on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at SparkJoyPodcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with KonMari Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of KonMari Media Incorporated or the KonMari Consultant Community.